Well, good morning, everyone, and Merry Christmas. It's a joy to start this day with all of you, and, and to see a full room is uh, an even greater joy. So thank you for being here this morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you, please open with me to the book of Luke, and we're going to read together Luke chapter 2 from verse 22 to 38. When the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought Jesus, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this morning and this opportunity together as your people to come together to adore Christ our Lord. We thank you, Father, for this story story of of two dear saints, disciples, who saw our Lord with the eyes of faith. And I pray, Father, that you would help us through their story to do the same. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask, amen. Amen. Joshua Bell is one of the world's most famous violinists. He, He plays a 1713 Stradivarius that apparently cost him around $3.5 million and was made during the violin maker's golden period, they say. Well, in 2007, the Washington Post and Bell did an experiment. He was in D.C. to play a concert at the Library of Congress. And back then already, the cheap 
seats for his concerts would cost around $100. The experiment was that after the concert bell was to play, he was to go down anonymously into a, 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 bus, a bustling DC metro station and, and play there for tips in the, sea, in, the, in the morning rush hour traffic. The experiment was intended to see if in the hustle of everyday life, the beauty that was before those people would be noticed or appreciated at all. So with $3.5 million violin in hand, he played in the station for about 45 minutes. And in that time, they, they, with a video on him, they estimate about 1,000 people passed by his way and only a handful of them stopped to listen not counting a, a $20 tip from a woman who actually recognized him, he made $32.17 in tips. It is possible, this is the conclusion the Washington Post made, it's possible to miss majesty right in front of you because your heart's just not tuned to see it. And that will be true again today. Will be true on this Christmas day. So many will miss Christ this Christmas for all of the seasons, festivities, and busy family traditions. It happens every year, the same thing. The world gets caught up in the festive spirit. Christmas movies come out, and celebrities release their albums, and families flock to light festivals and to carol services and other gatherings, and yet so, so many still miss. Christ in it all. And in Luke chapter 2, these two godly, dear old saints, Simeon and Anna, they were not like many in the culture around them. See, the Jews longed for hope. They were longing for a Messiah. And when He came, they missed Him. They were waiting for something less than Christ came to give. They wanted a, a political leader an earth-bound kingdom, a kingdom bound to the earth as we know it now, and Christ came to give so much more, something eternal and greater than what they were ready for. But not Simeon and Anna. They were ready, and 2,000 years later, they teach us today to embrace a full hope in Christ. See, Christmas comes to different people in different packages. For some, it is just bright and, and shiny. It comes with a, a light-hearted escape from the difficulties of work and the, the worries of life. You know the song? Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, your troubles will be out of sight. That's how it is for many. The festivities and the food and the, the family gatherings are sweet and they warm the heart, but the truth is in the back of your mind, you know that your problems haven't really gone anywhere. They're just a couple weeks away. So Christmas traditions provide a breather, but not lasting peace. For others, Christmas comes packaged with pain. It is a reminder of what maybe hasn't gone according to plan in life. A reminder of family fractured or lost, or a family even that never was. So Christmas brings an opportunity for us today to embrace two things in our hearts. The first opportunity is, is to embrace the truth that the, the longing that we have for rest, that we all have for rest, is not something that can be satisfied by the lights and the baubles. It can't be satisfied by the trinkets of the world. 
But in Christ there is true rest and there is peace. And so Christmas is a reminder for us to embrace the consolation that we have received in Him. And it provides an opportunity as well for the pain that we have accumulated in our lives and our families to be brought and placed at His feet. Christmas is not only a reminder for some of what we've lost, but it's also a reminder of what is to come, a consolation, a redemption that we wait for. So let us dive into this beautiful story together. Number one, Christmas is about consolation received. About consolation received. Verse 25 to 27, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, and we'll consider his song of praise in a a moment, but just for a minute, imagine the scene with me. Mary and Joseph, they come to the temple. Jesus was the firstborn, and there was to be a sacrifice made for the firstborn, an offering of thanksgiving to the Lord. And usually that sacrifice would be what? It would be a lamb, right? But if you were too poor to offer a lamb, you could offer two young pigeons or two turtle doves or a partridge in a pear tree. But the point here that Luke is trying to make is that as we saw a couple weeks back, Jesus didn't come into the earth in a four-poster palace bed. He came in a manger. Into poverty he stepped. Imagine how surprising this scene, this moment must have been for Mary and Joseph. In verse 33 it says, They marveled at what Simeon said about him. When they saw the old man approaching, they probably expected the usual, you know. Oh, how sweet. Look how much hair he's got. Or, so precious, he's he's got his mother's nose. Well, not Simeon. He knew exactly what he was going to say, and it wasn't the usual pleasantries. He overflowed with a joy that shocked them. With a dance, he snatches up their baby, and he announces to the room, it's finally happened. He is here. What he'd been waiting for his whole life had arrived. The consolation of Israel. See, back when Isaiah prophesied for Israel, he prophesied the exile of Judah, the gloom that was coming for the nation. And then he also gave a prophecy of hope, but a hope that would only fully be fulfilled in the coming Messiah. Isaiah 40, verse 1 to 2, this is what it means that he is the consolation of Israel. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Warfare ended, iniquity pardoned, grace that is greater than all their sin. These are the things that they need. These are the things that we need in a Savior, in a Messiah. This is the comfort that God will give. And when Simeon lays eyes on Jesus, I believe he sees in a way that many in Jesus' time did not see. 
Many would see him for the miracle that he could give, the fish or the bread or the the healing. Others would be intrigued by his teaching and even call him a prophet, but that intrigue would not lead to devotion and love. Still others would see him as a threat, a threat to their autonomy, their power, their way of life, and they would actively seek his death. And as he died on the cross, They'd beat their breasts and scorn his sacrifice. I believe that Simeon sees with different eyes, eyes that have been given by the Holy Spirit. Luke wants to make this clear. Three times he highlights in these verses the Spirit's work in Simeon's life. Verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon him. Verse 26, it was revealed by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before seeing the Messiah. And on this day, he comes to the temple at just the right time because, verse 27, he came by the Spirit. Simeon seems to see clearly in a way that is special in the Gospels. Like when Peter responds to that question, who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replies, blessed are you. This was not revealed by flesh and blood. The unwavering hope. And the joy that Simeon has on this day is given by the Holy Spirit. And today my prayer is that the Spirit would do the same for us. And Simeon rejoices in this song. And we learn what it means that we've received consolation. The consolation of Israel. This is what we are to embrace for whatever tomorrow we face. This is what we have right now. He speaks of three things. Of peace salvation, and the light of revelation. Number one, he says, peace, Luke 2.29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. You know, we live in a, a time where many people have this great fear that somehow in their life they are are missing out, like their life will be less than or emptier than the, the lives of those around them. We even have a, a new name for it, Right? FOMO, have you heard of that? Fear of missing out. People love to curate and Instagram these airbrushed moments of life, the perfect meal at the perfect restaurant or that wonderful experience abroad. A few years back, a TV show became popular, 50 places to see before you die. I think it was a BBC show. And it spawned a number of other books and articles along this same thought. All the things you've just got to experience. All the places you've got to see before you die. There is a restlessness and a lack of peace to the way that we live our lives. The joy that Simeon has when he opens his mouth. The first words we see of him on the pages of Scripture is, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to die. Not that he was fed up with life. But because he had been satisfied, there was only one thing on his bucket list. Only one thing to see. You promised you'd let me see your salvation, the consolation of Israel, and I have seen him. I hold him in my arms and I can depart in peace. Christ hasn't even yet gone to the cross. He hasn't yet risen to life. But Simeon sees with the eyes of faith and all who see Christ with these eyes similarly are ready to depart. Christ alone today 
is the key to our peace. He is the true rest in whatever storms come in the new year. All that we love about this time, all the lights, the baubles, the food, elf on a shelf, all of it's going to be over in a blink of an eye. The magic gone and the moments replaced by the mundane again. In fact, the very Christmas gifts that we give to our children are a, a parable of this, aren't they? parable of the, the way we tend to find rest and things that won't last. Your children, if they are here today, they are eager for one thing, right? One thing. While I'm preaching, all you can think about is the roast gammon. They can only think about the gifts. And some of you said, I, we did our gifts already. It, it just wasn't going to work, right? I, I couldn't wait. I couldn't bring them here while the gifts were at home. It was never going to work. Others, maybe you said, we want to, you know, we want to, uh, prioritize the right thing, so we'll wait until we get home to do the gifts, and they're here right now saying, Lord, have mercy, let him end quickly so that we can go home. <laughs> and here's the irony of it all. I mean, Noah, just last night, he, uh, uh, he, he figured, right, he knows, okay, I've got gifts coming tomorrow, and I've got the, the church service as well, and he knew that the church service stood between him and the gifts, and so he asked Sheree, when you say church, you mean church, church? Will they be preaching is what he's asking. <laughs> and Sheree says, yes, dad's preaching for an hour. And he goes, oh. <laughs> And singing, another hour. <laughs> and so he's doing the math. He says, two hours. It's okay, just the preaching. The irony is those gifts that we give them, some of them are going to be broken by tonight. <laughs> They'll be forgotten in two weeks' time. And next year, the same thing will roll around, the same cycle, excitement, and then trinkets forgotten. I'm not saying don't do the gifts. Enjoy the, the smiles on their faces. Enjoy that moment. But we don't miss the opportunity to teach what is true in this day, that real rest doesn't come in these things Lasting joy and peace come from one source. We don't look to trinkets for our rest, and we don't tie the peace of our lives to our circumstances. Verse 30 and 31, Simeon says, For my eyes have seen your salvation. Here's the second thing, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. The world cannot find true rest because it cannot see that what it needs more than anything else is salvation. That they are estranged from God, who made their souls to rest in Him, and they don't, don't even know it. So we self-medicate with trinkets and with baubles. As Augustine learned so powerfully in his life, and he said in his confessions, Thou hast made us for Thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in Thee. God has given one way of salvation. It's a reality that, that we live with in the world that sometimes makes it difficult for us to live in the world, but it's the truth that we know that there is one name given under heaven to men, Jesus Christ. In a word, this is what the whole Bible is about, salvation, a salvation expected in Him, executed by Him, and completed in Christ. 
The Bible is the story of what the Father has planned for the rebel race from eternity past, what He has decreed and ordained, what He has executed through His Son and accomplished effectually through His Spirit. It is a story of what God has done for us, what we patently could not do for ourselves. And just like Simeon, who knew that when he held Jesus in his arms, he'd finally seen what would be enough for him eternally. We know today that Christ is enough for us. He's enough for us forever, and he certainly is enough for us today. There is a love over our lives that will never be lost. And we need to embrace that. Finally, Simeon says that we have light in him. Verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. See what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 49 verse 6 that most people missed in Simeon's days. He didn't miss. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. He was not to be just a king for the Jews. He was a king for the world, a savior of the world. And light coming from the Jewish people to the Gentiles, to the world. That's the glory of Israel. The world in darkness, in confusion, groping around for meaning and in need of light. Matthew 4, 16. The people, that's us, dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. We have in Christ the very self-revelation of God. He has given us Himself. He's revealed Himself. He is the goal of salvation. He is the peace we crave. This is what it means for Christ to be our consolation today. We have received peace and salvation and light. So whatever we face next year, whatever is coming, our hearts can be filled with joy and with hope. We give thanks. We give thanks that He did not allow us to find peace in the things of the world or in our own plans and our earthly treasures. He did not leave us estranged in our hearts. And He did not leave us blind to wander the world with dull eyes to the beauty of Christ. We have seen Him and we adore Him today. Number two, Christmas is about waiting for consolation to come. The scene in the temple doesn't go unnoticed. There's another dear old saint, another person there. Like Simeon, she has a heart posture that is ready for this day. Like Simeon, she will look upon this child with the eyes of faith. Verse 36, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84, or maybe more literally, actually as a widow for 84 years. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting with prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Now you would hardly look at Anna's life and say that things had really gone according to plan, right? To, to marry as a, in her youth and only to live with her husband for seven years. And then, I mean, she's maybe 21, 22 at the time. And then until she's 84, 
or for 84 more years, if your head can do the math, to live as a widow. I wonder how often maybe she thought to herself or imagined what life might have been if her husband hadn't passed away. And it's not that she's wasted her life at all. Instead of giving up, up on life, she's set her heart on hope, hoping in the Lord. She's devoted herself to his house to worship and prayer and fasting as a, a prophetess in the house of the Lord. She lived a full life, and it was a life of joy, but it was a life marked by waiting. It was marked by waiting. And from the moment she sees him, gratitude and joy wells up in her heart. She ministers to those around who are also waiting like she was for redemption. There is something wonderful that we have to learn from Simeon and from Anna today. See, their joy in seeing him is set in a particular backdrop. It's set in the backdrop of waiting. For captive Israel, it has been a time of darkness and a time of despair. The fact that many false messiahs arose in these days speaks of the agony that these people, the anguish that they faced. And their joy is set as well in the midst of a truth that even now, even though they have seen him and held him, there is nothing in their external circumstances that's about to change. There's going to be no political upheaval, no change in the widow status of Anna, the cross and the resurrection won't even come till after they have passed away, until after they're gone, and yet they are fulfilled. They take joy in what they know will come. And so they remind us today that Christmas is about waiting. Some of us are able to have a merry little Christmas with our troubles far away. But for others, Christmas is not so lighthearted. It is not so merry comes as a reminder of the things that have happened that we, we hoped would not happen. The way that life turned out, maybe the way we didn't want it to or didn't expect. Maybe you've been praying and praying for a, a prodigal to come home and this season only brings up the, the hurt. Or you're longing for the family that you haven't seen in years. Maybe an ocean separates you and you can't get to them and that's what you experience at Christmas time. Maybe you hoped that you would be married by now. And so Christmas is only a reminder of the family that you don't have. Or maybe you're grieving a family member that has been lost. You take stock of your life, and Christmas time reminds you life hasn't really turned out the way that you had hoped, at least with regards to your family. And so you're waiting. You're waiting for them to return. You're waiting for a future you hope will come. Or you're wondering if, if this time will ever be a time where happiness replaces the grieving. And sometimes in our waiting, the temptation is to wonder, has he forgotten about me? Has he forgotten about me? The fact that you are waiting today is not proof that you have been abandoned by God. Waiting is an essential part of the Christian life. It doesn't mean that your life has been derailed. It's the result of living in a fallen world that cannot satisfy you. And even waiting is a gift because it gives you the opportunity to draw near to Christ. Jeremiah knew 
what it meant to wait in affliction for God, and his life was filled with trouble, and yet he said these words in Lamentations 3, 24 to 27. He said, and I hope this can be your heart today, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. The prophet Isaiah, 30 verse 18, blessed are those who wait for him. Or Isaiah 49, 23, those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. No one has ever waited upon the Lord by waiting. I mean, hoped in him and trust in him. No one has ever waited and been put to shame. You will not be the first. I love that that quote by John Piper, and maybe this is true of you in the Christmas season. He says, occasionally weep, weep deeply over the life you hoped would be, grieve the losses, then wash your face, trust God, and embrace the life you have. Simeon and Anna are an illustration of what it means to have joy in waiting. In fact, joy in waiting must go hand in hand. Longing is the difference between joy and happiness. Happiness doesn't long for anything. It is felt in the moment. It is attached to a situation at hand. And it's why it's not stable like joy is stable. Because joy is not bound to circumstance. It's tied to Christ. And because joy is tied to Christ, it doesn't only come with peace and satisfaction and contentment. It also comes with longing. It is possible to rest in Christ, in the redemption that has been given and still long for redemption to come. And the Christ that we must not miss today on Christmas Day is the one who fills our hearts with peace and victory won and the peace of sin atoned for and ransom paid. But this is also a chance, an opportunity that we embrace, a chance for longing, for waiting Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, and God is in the manger, the Advent season is a season of waiting, but our whole life is an Advent season. That is, a season of waiting for the last Advent, for the time when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Are you waiting for that day? Waiting is only a temporary reality. We have it for now to give us the opportunity to set our hearts on Christ for the redemption that comes when He returns. And on that day, every single loss will be overshadowed by fulfillment. Isaiah 65, 17 speaks of that day. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Isn't that a blessing? Death will be no more. Shame will never again be our experience. Longing and sadness will be replaced by feasting in His presence. Listen to this beautiful picture of the same day, Isaiah 25, 6-9. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. And the Baptists say, Amen. Amen. A feast of well-aged wine. And the Reformed Baptists say, I want the wine on the mountain of rich food and full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. 
And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said, we will say on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Every need will be fully met and never will there be another moment of lack. I love one of my favorite pictures in the whole Bible is in Revelation 21, 22 of the new heavens and the new earth. This picture of a city coming down to replace what is. And it says there that we will have no need of the temple because he will be our presence. We will have no need of sun or moon because God himself will be the city's light. I love that. Imagine not needing the sun. We need it literally for everything. We need it for life. And God says of that place, don't worry, I've got it. I'm everything that you'll ever need. And this morning, we align our hearts with that truth, with that day. It's an opportunity that we will not miss. Like Simeon and Anna as well, it is what we want the world to know. Simeon saw and he praises God aloud and Anna saw and immediately she goes and she ministers to those who had been waiting for that redemption. I've found what I've been waiting for all these years, what we've all been waiting for. And so these saints, they're just here for a moment in the Bible and they serve us because they they reveal to us the glory of Christ, the worth of him to fulfill the waiting and longing soul. And J.C. Ryle in his commentary says to us, if they, remember this is before Jesus died and rose again, if they with so few helps and so many discouragements lived such a life of faith, how much more ought we with finished Bible and full gospel? Let us strive like them to walk by faith and look forward. See, the world today will think about the birth maybe but they will hardly look past the birth to see the death and the, resurre- the resurrection of Christ. And so we need to live our lives. Our lives must declare the consolation that we have received in Him that we have found. And maybe, maybe you have not found that in Him today. Maybe you have not seen Him with the eyes that the Holy Spirit gives. There is a, a note of grim reflection in this passage amidst the joy and amidst the marveling. A prophecy that is given by Simeon in verse 34 and 35. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed And a sword will pierce through your own soul, he's speaking to Mary also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Though he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament hope, the promised Messiah, the one who is all that we need, he also will be an object of opposition. People will despise him and reject him and take their stand against him. They will accuse him and they will kill him. This is the sword that pierced Mary's side. She's being prepared on this day for that day many years later. That moment standing at the foot of the cross in agony, she will remember what Simeon said and see that it has come true and been fulfilled. 
See, our peace, salvation, and life came at the cost of His life. They are given at the price of His blood, and His death is what stands at the heart of who He is for us. But only for those who look at the cross with the eyes of faith. The hearts of all will be laid bare before Him. There will be a rising and a falling, Simeon says. For those who look upon the cross with need and longing and look to Him, there will be a rising, a rising to life. But for those who reject Him, there will be a falling. Maybe you are here. You've never turned to Him with that need, with that longing. Maybe it's God's grace that you are here. Maybe it's God's grace that has worked in your life to frustrate you in your life that is not centered on Him. Maybe you today find a longing that you know can't be satisfied by the lights and the food and the family. Can't be satisfied by the things of the world. Simeon and Anna call you to embrace today that longing and to look to the one we call consolation. Let's pray. Father, we gather with joy and, and gratitude that you sent your son. Lord, as I was singing the songs about virgin births and, and God taking on flesh, I thought, Lord, I, how difficult this must be to believe for some. It is incredible that you would become flesh, that you would take on our sin, that you would die in our place, and that you would reconcile us in this way. It's almost beyond belief. And so I pray, I pray that you would give us eyes that only the Holy Spirit can give. I pray that you would open up our hearts to the consolation that is available, the peace, the salvation, the light that is available only in Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that you would give us, those who are, are hurting, I pray that you would give us a heart of worship that waits for you. We are waiting and we are looking forward. Every day we get closer to eternity. We are waiting for that day where there will be no more death or shame or guilt or tears or fears, but we will be in your presence in perfect joy and peace forever. We thank you for the gift. Amen.